Hey, Karan. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Welcome back. All right, sir. Well, we tried this once and it turned out to be a little bit long. So we're just going to split up this presentation into three sections. Um, so you have the presentation in front of you. I am recording the screen. And to give everybody an intro, uh, this uh, presentation that you see here, uh, if you're watching, if you're just listening, what we're looking at is a PowerPoint presentation that I gave at the CMO Data Summit around cold outreach, um, automation, GDPR, and remaining compliant, as well as some tips and strategies and some examples of good and bad outreach. Um, so Karan from hubcell.com, obviously my co-host on this podcast, we are going to dive into the first third of this presentation today, and uh, hopefully we get some time this week to do the latter two halves. And uh, this one, we discuss specifically one-to-one -one messaging, yeah. how to be omnipresent and human-like. So... I'll go ahead and uh, introduce the subject and then hand it off to Karan to dive into a little bit of detail. Uh, and then we'll go through some examples, uh, good and bad, and uh, conclude with uh, a little bit of where, how, and why. So starting off here, um, skip through the general slides and Let's talk about this uh, statistic here that I pulled. Uh, pretty interesting. More than half of marketers are not only enriching their data, but um, struggling with enriching their data now. So uh, data quality is a, is a big pain point. So that's one of the, one of the reasons we do one-to-one -one outreach and we focus on one-to-one -one outreach is because there's too much fluff. There's too much spam out there. Um, yeah. non-focused, non-specialized emails and copywriting going on. So I started off the presentation with uh, that quote to kind of set the premise. And now, uh, Karan, I'm going to introduce the slide and you can take it away. Um, how we can create one-to-one -one outreach experiences. Uh, why don't you explain what one-to-one -one outreach means and also how to create those experiences. All right. Thank you, Alex. Um, a one-to-one -one outreach is one that um, is not part of a mass mailing. It could be automated, but it's not part of a mass, uh, let's say, blast or newsletter. It is uh, created to provide value to the end recipient in one way or another and create a one-on-one -on -one relationship with that person. So that, that, is, that would be the key difference between a one-to-one and uh, mass marketing or mass sales uh, outreach, for example. Now, the, one of the first thing you're going to do, which, which you're going to need to do in order to um, target people in a very one-to-one -one, um, context is have information on uh, them to the level that you can specify them in very, very narrow buckets. That brings us to the first step. Keep your audiences specific. Now, as a company, you may have, uh, um, let's say, a particular market, but that market will be divided into different company types. And those company types will be divided into different people that are part of your sale, 
You could have a facilitator, an economic buyer, an end user, a decision maker, uh, internal champion. There are many, many roles that people will play. And in the end, the message that you're sending should reflect that person's role of their day-to-day. Your product's um, solutions value to them. The pain point that you're lifting, uh, alleviating uh, from their day-to-day and so forth. And in order to be able to do that, you need to be able to structure your data into a, a very broad set of variables. Now, this brings us to point two, which is where to get that data. Now, as we read right on the previous slide, getting qualitative data, getting data in general, but especially getting qualitative data is one of the key barriers for salespeople and, and marketers. Now, there are good reasons for that. It is hard to find, but another thing is people don't really know how to treat data, right? And a lot of data is available, and uh, social uh, media uh, is, is one of the great examples. For example, LinkedIn and Europe Zing, uh, Angel.co, Crunchbase. There are several different sources that you can uh, use to get a lot of data, and then once you have that data, you can further structure that data. You can further... Uh, categorize that data to have a very, very clear idea and, and, you know, put people in different, very narrow buckets to be able to target them. Um, once you have people uh, in, in narrow buckets and, and that, def- that describe them very accurately as per, let's say, the, the language that you want to use them, you can utilize dynamic text. An example of that would be if a person in their company Um, let's say you're targeting four different departments. Let's say you're targeting general management, uh, so C-level people. Uh, You're targeting um, marketing, sales, and business development, right? I'm giving you an example of how we are targeting our own, uh, uh, you know, sales uh, automation for our market. Now, for all four of these different people, I could use the the information about their department to to, um, make the text dynamic to automatically change the text and make it fit their day-to-day, their, what is relevant for them, for example. For a CEO, it is relevant that the ROI is better. For a business development uh, representative, maybe also a salesperson, they, they're more interested in what kind of conversion they're getting. For marketing, they're again interested in another thing that, that, that might be a little bit different from salesperson. So having the right data and uh, um, having tools or let's say even within your team, uh, dividing those people into narrow buckets will allow you to use highly targeted or in other words, dynamic text. Yeah. So once we, you are able to consistently achieve point one, two, and three, you take it to the next level, which is don't just reach out to them over just one channel, but deploy all channels which are relevant for your market. Now, in B2B market, for example, LinkedIn is going to be very important. In certain countries, Twitter is very important. In Europe, for example, you'll use Sing. Uh, Sing or Crossing, one of those two names are, uh, you know, how how we refer to this channel. Um, You could also uh, try physical letters in in, uh, uh, markets where there's too much noise online. The goal is to actually... Um, have it super targeted and be a cross channel, you know, um, reaching the point of being human like and omnipresent. Got it. That was a great synopsis. So um, segment your audiences, keep them specific to title, department, industry. 
um, leverage existing social APIs uh, for both gathering the data and also deploying the messaging, uh, utilizing dynamic text. So adding personal notes, if then statements, and we'll dig into what those are and how to use those in a minute. Uh, and then uh, obviously multi-channel. So depending on your audience, where they exist, um, deploying outreach, not just messaging, but notifications, pings, mentions, all that good stuff uh, to make sure that they are aware of who you are and your brand um, during this whole sequence process. Now, um, I'm going to show you uh, an example of a very poorly created, contrived, written cold email that I received a couple weeks ago before the presentation. The timing was great. I was looking for an example and this one came in my inbox. Um, there's a couple of red underlines there that show you what I'm talking about. Um, but the first thing he says in the subject line is, Alex, it's been a while. I have never heard from this person before. And um, uh, he obviously didn't take the time to make sure that I was uh, in the right list in the right segment. So hopefully he had people that knew him in one segment and people that did not in another. My guess is he did not um, based on the copy in this email. Uh, but I have great news, he says, all capital letters, uh, which is another issue I won't dig into. But um, you know, the spacing here, you'll see the formatting. Um, one thing about this, I doubt he actually wrote the email with this formatting where there's not a space between hello again, Alex. And as you might be aware, I believe his uh, email software probably um, did not uh, include the right formatting when he sent that in into a Gmail inbox. I don't know what it would look like in Outbox. Um, so that's another thing to be aware of. Make sure to test your emails and make sure the formatting is correct in both uh, Gmail and Outlook specifically. Um, so have an email in Outlook and an email in Gmail, a friend of yours or whoever that you'd like to test this with before sending yeah. a sequence. Uh, as you might be aware, he says in the start <laughs> of the email. Hello again, Alex. As you might be aware, I would have no idea how I would be aware, but he says, I have finished my work with Blank Software Company and I am pursuing an opportunity with Blank Media Group as Chief Operating Officer, Managing Partner of Blank Online, their new data lead management platform. Many of you <laughs> know, know me as Blank. Um, so he calls out, this is important, he calls out all of us included in his cold email blast. So indicating that I am in a blast and not an individual personal message. So he says, many of you uh, know me as blank in quotations, and this resource was a win-win for all sides of mm -hmm. the gamut. I'm not sure what he means there. Um, again, if you're not looking at this, if you're listening, uh, more formatting issues, no spacing here. He, he breaks up paragraphs, but there's no spacing in between. Then he says, since my background is data management, um, first of all, you know, I don't care right. what your background is. Second of all, it's clear that you are not good at data yeah. management based on the unspecifics, yeah. uh, the non-specified points in these yeah. emails. Um, it, it's clear you did not take Quran's advice and break up your <laughs> segments and, and create a really robust uh, database before sending these emails. Um, so he says, since my background is data management, Blank gives me a better portfolio for my customers with an ultimate, or sorry, an unlimited supply of data, data management, and appending services, which outranks all competition. Um, okay, great. Um, why, he asks, because everyone knows, everyone knows everyone Blank, knows. 
and the success he has created. So he mentioned someone in particular. I had no idea who that person was either, but he says everyone knows blank and the success he has created with blank media group. Um, so he mentions a couple things here about the success of his company and the success of his owner without actually indicating anything to give me an I, uh, a, a proof of the success. So any sort of uh, testimonial, any sort of list of companies that he works with, no indication, no credibility in there. So don't mention those things without uh, adding the credibility. Then he says, give me a call so we can discuss your future data, data management needs, and a demo of arguably the most powerful data management platform available. It would be great to catch up with you again. So he says, give me a call. He says, it would be great to catch up with you again. There's conflicting calls to action here at the end. And, um, you know, I, I uh, will go into more detail with specifics on how to write a cold email, good cold email soon and in future episodes. But uh, the one thing that we, we definitely stress is, is if you're going to ask something of your customers, you know, make sure to give them some value first and make sure that that ask is, um, you know, low fidelity. You don't want to ask them to just oh, yeah. give you a call. Nobody's going to look at a phone number and a signature for someone they don't know and just pick up the phone and call them. Um, yeah. in a cold, from a cold email. Um, so, so make sure to be, uh, very, make it very easy for them to uh, proceed to the next step and we'll go over strategies there. So very poorly conceived, poorly written, uh, bad data all around, just a bad cold email attempt, um, from this person. Um, yeah. and, and Karan, you wanted to mention something, sorry. Yeah. So uh, one thing I would, I would also say about this email is that, um, it could just be that he's lazy, uh, to be frank, and he's using the subject line as a clickbait, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where, where it says, Alex, has been a while, uh, but I have great news. Uh, if you hear from somebody that you have heard from in the past and they have great news, you will open this email. I think yeah. he has a very high open rate. But as soon as you open the email, you realize you've been tricked. So yeah. he breaks one of the very fundamental rules of cold outreach is to start giving value from the first step, from the first interaction that you have with the person. Yeah. He's, al- he's already tricking you from point one and making claims. So he's already relying on credibility that he never built in, in your eyes. And he's trying to cash it in right now. And, and, and you didn't mention anything about best fishes. I, I don't get that at all. That's, uh, he mentioned in the email that he, he's the fish guy or something. Uh, some, oh, okay. some, some, some uh, nickname that he has. So he's oh, referring okay. to that. Um, so that mm-hmm. I didn't have a huge problem with. It was weird, I but I didn't have a huge problem with it. But um, to mention your point about being opened, but no replies, I literally just answered a uh, Quora question about um, getting your emails opened, uh, having a high open rate, but a low response rate. Um, yeah. And uh, I'll put a link to that. But uh, it's, it's a very interesting topic because a lot of people that are performing cold emails, they'll look at just the open rates and they'll see a high open yeah. rate and they'll just continue blasting people without really measuring the KPIs that matter, which are not only reply yeah. rate, but positive reply rate. And we'll dig into oh, yeah. what that means. So I'll link that yeah. question in the notes here at the end. Um, but let's dive into a couple of use cases. So there's uh, the idea of a cold email at scale, which is um, something we can get into on a specific episode. I do want to talk about cold emailing at scale. But for this presentation, I use two use cases that really make the nuanced 
data aggregation and the personalization one-to-one emailing possible and uh, necessary. I used going to conventions. So I was at a convention. I wanted to find out who was in attendance, A, whether I wanted to even go to the convention, uh, and B, if I decide to go, what sort of messaging, what sort of um, information would that audience find relevant? So I need to know their job titles. I need to know industry. I needed to enrich a full data set to make sure I knew who the audience was. Uh, so also I could deliver a great presentation. But as a B2B you know, uh, business or any business, if you go to conventions, if you do speaking engagements, if you rent booze uh, anywhere, um, it's really good to um, enrich uh, a data set of who's going to be in attendance. Uh, and you can find that information not only by checking last year's attendance, but if you are buying a booth, you actually get the attendance list with most of these conventions. So enrich that data set. Uh, and then dump them into uh, uh, a nice, uh, robust um, nurturing sequence, which we'll show you. So conventions is the first use case. The second use case is recruiting. Uh, I use this one because I used it recently as well. Um, It's a very, very important topic for CEOs um, and also obviously recruiters and, uh, and human resource departments, but finding very, uh, very skilled employees that are in a uh, specific skill set that's in high demand, hard to come by. Uh, in my specific use case, I was looking for a React uh, developer in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. There's a handful of them, and uh, they're all employed. So you need a cold outreach, not just email campaign, because they're not going to be actively looking for positions. They're not going to be on job boards. So you need to reach out with, to these people. You need to nurture them as you would a client and build some trust, build some thought leadership and put them through a really great personalized sequence. So recruiting and uh, conventions were the two use cases. Uh, now I'll hand it off to Karan to explain how to prep the audience for the campaign that you're about to send. Sure. I mean, the two use cases that you mentioned, uh, there are obviously uh, other things you can do, but the core use case, of course, still sales automation, you know, reaching out to your customer and getting uh, new deals, right? Um, and, you know, the, the use case can change, the process won't, not by a lot in either case. So the, the steps that you've listed here on this slide, they're pretty much um, you know, um, therefore, pretty much every kind of use case that you will have. You will need to define your audience. You will need, need to define what exactly you want to do. What's your use case? In, in use case number one, you're talking about, um, let's say, getting more meetings with the right people in the, in the uh, conferences that you're going to. Uh, this strategy has been used by us before. This strategy has been used by people that I know. And sometimes they just buy one ticket and then get a lot of meetings. And then they have enough of a, of a, let's say, reason to buy more tickets for their colleagues so that they actually go and handle these meetings professionally, right? It can actually be an investment decision once you have enough meetings. So the use case um, uh, really matters for uh, the, the audience that you're going to have and the purpose. So um, once you have clearly defined what audience that you want to target and what the purpose of that is, Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to start, and I think the order there is going to be a little bit in re- reverse, where you have list the criteria need, that you need, and then gather, and then I think you will start taking actions and map impressions and messages. I think, I think that would be the next stage. 
where you are, you are uh, as soon as you've defined the audience and the purpose, you will start gathering that data. You will verify that data and uh, that data will be segmented into different fields. At that point, um, getting the impressions on what exactly you want to do in that outreach. Do you want to start going visiting their profiles with, with your LinkedIn account so that they somehow see you? Do you want to start going and liking their, their posts beforehand, or let's say maybe two, three weeks before? Are you eventually going to send them a connection request or maybe an email or even a physical letter? All those messages written or, or let's say not written um, are, are going to be planned as soon as you have defined your market gather the data, and now you can act on it. You can start uh, uh, targeting them. Did you want to say something, Alex? No, no. Um, I think you handled uh, that pretty well. And um, we'll go into, obviously, GDPR we did in last episodes, um, so we don't need to touch on that too much. But, um, yeah, wrap that one up. Anything else that you want to add? And then I'll go into yeah. the next slide here. So the personal field there, that, that's a very powerful thing. Um, it will allow you to um, provide something that is uh, very, very valuable to the recipient. Um, mm -hmm. An example of that could be something that they've recently posted. Now, this will require some manual work from your team or, 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 or a vendor that you may uh, get in touch with um, to, to get something that they recently did and, and basically use a sentence of that or part of a sentence as an intro to your overall message. I think this presentation will show that later, but I just wanted to set the stage for, for, for the listeners and the, and the viewers. Um, and a personal feed field can just be added into a email or a message, and uh, it will completely differ for every person that you're targeting, right? And uh, it's going to immediately create that relevance that that person, uh, that will encourage that person to continue reading your message and actually reply to it. Yeah, so that, that would be uh, the you know explanation regarding the personal field. And I think custom fields very closely linked to that. We'll get to that in a little bit later. Um, shall we handle the opt-in and, uh, and EU states um, later on? Yeah, yeah, we, we, we have a couple episodes as well as one more, I think, in the queue to dive into GDPR and opt-in versus opt-out states. So let's uh, save that for later. Um, I'll go into slide 12 here. Um, slide 12 for those listeners is, is a pie chart of the attendees at the summit I went to uh, based on their department. So not specific names or anything like that, but um, just broken up who's in marketing versus who's in data management versus who's in product management, et cetera. So I can get a good visual of the audience and curtail the information in this presentation accordingly. So this present, uh, this, sorry, this, this specific pie chart showed 43% of the audience uh, were going to be in marketing departments, um, whereas 17% is the next highest chunk we're going to be in data management. Um, so if this was the opposite, if 43% uh, were in data management, only 17% were in marketing, my presentation would be a little bit different. Uh, I'd focus more on the data handling, uh, the processes of data curation, et cetera, and less on the actual outreach. But um, this was a CMO slash data summit. Most of the attendees were in fact in marketing departments. So uh, the presentation is more skewed towards marketing professionals. Um, and I gathered that chart as well as uh, the percentages, I'm sorry, I gathered the, uh, uh, the total attendees to create the percentages, create this pie chart uh, during the enrichment process that we touched on. So I'll show you 
here in slide 13 is a visual of uh, the actual data set. Um, this is not all the rows that I enriched. There were rows for how long they've been in their position. Um, there are rows uh, for obviously the company LinkedIn profile, their mm -hmm. personal LinkedIn profile, um, all sorts of great data that I had on these uh, individuals oh, yeah. so that I can go ahead and create a very, very customized one-to-one -one, um, outreach campaign. Um, so moving on, slide 13. Slide 13 is a visual of a seven-day or a seven-step uh, depending on your use case, um, it can be broken up. However, uh, however is best for your audience and your timeline. But uh, the steps are what's important. So I have on my mm -hmm. specific um, use case, which is um, outreach to the attendees at this summit where I was speaking. Day one was building the audiences, curating the con. I'm sorry, curating the list, enriching the data. Um, day three was uh, CRM retargeting. If you don't know what CRM retargeting is, CRM retargeting is basically loading a list of contacts based on email addresses to your ad, I'm sorry, ad accounts like LinkedIn, Facebook, AdRoll, et cetera, and retargeting them across social platforms and display um, based on matching of email addresses to accounts and browsers. Um, so loading the enriched audiences into my retargeting campaigns and serving them, which I'll show you in a minute, something that shows thought leadership. So I want them to see my face associated with something that says Alex knows what he's talking about before they decide to show up at my talk uh, at the summit. Uh, day five, the next step, step three, is uh, social profile impressions, uh, which I like to use. Um, and obviously this can be different depending on the sequence and depending on the use case, but I chose to do a social profile impression. In this case, it was a connection request and a message, an ad note message on LinkedIn, mentioning that I'm giving a talk and uh, hoping that they can, they can come. Um, the first question was actually, are you going to the um, data summit this year? It was not uh, letting them know that I know they're going. It was, uh, are you going? And then anybody that replied, actually, I, I sent um, another message, which is the next day, uh, introducing them to my talk, what the title was, the day and time, and hoping that they can make it. Um, now I have a final step, which is start of the cold email sequence. And in my case, the cold email sequence was um, more thought leadership stuff, um, obviously reiterating the day and time of mm -hmm. my talk. And it was very light. And you know, I'm not trying to sell these people on anything. This is really just making sure that uh, my talk goes well and enough people um, see and hear and, and uh, are able to enjoy it. Um, slide 15, I'll just touch on this real quick because most of you are not viewing, but it shows a picture of the data set in step one, enriching the data, um, a picture of uh, the retargeting ad that I sent, which was a review of cold email platforms that Karan and I did recently. Um, step three was, uh, uh, shows a tweet as well as a um, Alex Glenn is following you um, a quick push notification that anyone in that sequence received, which is that low touch first initial impression, then a little bit higher touch impression, um, which is step four, a LinkedIn message, as well as uh, final step, which is the start of the cold email sequence, which brings me to slide 16. And I'll hand this off to Karan to explain 
what we've included in this email as far as custom fields go and, uh, and, and share what those look like as well as what the purpose is. So go ahead. Right. Well, what you see in the subject already is that you are using their own company name and your name in, 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 a, in the subject line, right? What you're mm -hmm. trying to show there is that this is already targeted to your company name, right? Um, imagine receiving, for example, um, let's say um, Hubsell and Alex Glenn. Yeah, I would most probably open this email. And then immediately in the first line of the email, and this, by the way, will be visible from the email preview where you say, I saw your post about data management on LinkedIn. This will actually be visible when, I, when the email comes in and I can see it on my mobile phone or on my uh, uh, MacBook. Uh, before opening the email, I'll see up to 25 to 30 characters. So this is great that you're already pointing out that you have done some work on who I am. You've seen my post on data management on LinkedIn. And this is one of the examples of those uh, uh, personal notes that you can put in there. You already put it in here, but you also put it later as, as an example of the placeholder. But this would be then an example of that you did your research, you found out what they have recently done and what's important for them, what's, what is interesting for them recently, fresh in their mind, and you put that as your intro text into the, the message. We immediately hook them for the rest of the email or message in, uh, as well, and they'll read, read through it. After that, what you're using actually is uh, dynamic placeholders where you may target them differently based on which department they're in or which role they have or how senior they are, how long they're in the position and so forth. But really a lot of work um, uh, that you can do before you start uh, adding these people into a campaign is to enrich them with your personal notes on them. Sure, it'll be a little bit manual and, and uh, I mean, um, uh, some manual work, but the results that you can get from that uh, imagine you looking at their, their profile or their information or the company or their company's blog and then creating a sentence that in your mind is going to be relevant to them and just you add that sentence in that row of that person and then target them one-on-one -on -one automatically with that information in the email. has a very strong impact, right? Um, I think the further down there, you, you're using sender uh, ID name, which is, you know, you, you want to be able to share this same email or uh, template with your colleagues. If, if, if you actually put your name in there, then it can only be sent by you. But if, if you, you're the placeholder there, your colleagues can share it as well. And obviously, it is uh, obliged, you ha you're obligated by law to put your signature, which includes an opt-out link and your, uh, your address, your contact information and so forth. So I think this is a great example of an email. I, I wonder if you, I mean, I'm pretty sure you got a lot of positive replies from this. Got it. Great. So you touched on the important parts, the if-then statements, personal notes, um, subject line being uh, dynamic as well, not static, uh, adding the mm -hmm. signature. Um, great formatting. Uh, if anyone isn't looking, the formatting looks good. It's digestible. Uh, looks a little uh, hectic with the uh, placeholders, but I assure you once it comes into an inbox, it looks very, very clean and concise and to the point. So um, great uh, first email example there. And um, slide 17. Yeah. Um, I'll just touch on this real quick and then hand it back to Karan. Um, how to be both automated and human-like. So a big part of this discussion was human-like, one-to-one contact, one-to-one messaging. Um, so Kron mentioned uh, dynamic, uh, customized mm -hmm. copy, uh, dynamic placeholders. 
Um, I mentioned um, a bad example of keeping uh, the recipient at the center. So point two, keep the recipient at the center. Um, if you recall, the poor example was all eyes and my company, this, and we, all those, um, yeah. and I uh, achieved. all those pronouns there. Yeah. And, and you want to keep your recipient in the center. Um, so if, yeah. if, if you look back to our example, uh, I saw your post on data management. Congratulations on the continued success. Um, all, all about the receiver, not about me and what I need and what I'm doing. So keep the recipient at the center. Um, now, um, Karan will mention the last two points here for you. I think he has some better insight on those two. Yeah, I mean, they, they kind of are dependent on point two and, and one, of course, as well. Um, initiating a dialogue instead of a sale, this should just be the, the, the basis of all outreach. Um, people are not going to buy what you're selling just because you emailed them. What you want to do is establish a relationship with them, a relationship of giving. You want to share value with them, and that's point four, of course, but it, 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 uh, it's closely related to point one, two, and three as well anyway. So I've received emails, and I'm pretty sure you have, and people listening to this particular podcast also have received emails from people that are trying to sell to them a service immediately in the first email where they are already mentioning prices or already the benefits that they will uh, that you will get by buying their service they are actually um, undermining the entire sales process they are they are erecting um, um, barriers in your mind because they are they are selling you the information without you having to ask for it right so therefore you you, you should initiate a dialogue not a sale immediately. And the right way to initiate the dialogue between you and your potential uh, uh, prospect, your potential lead, depending on the use case that you have, could be providing them with some insights or, or, or a tip or sharing them with, the, with some content that, that either you wrote or somebody else in your network wrote. Any kind of value that you can provide them. Reward them for, for opening your message hmm. and uh, uh, reading your content. Uh, make them feel better. Humor has been used, by the way, often, if done well, not with best fishes, of course, but if done well, to provide value to the person that is reading it. And that will get them to interact with you in a, in a, in a non-negative or let's say positive context. So um, if you can follow all these four points, target your copy to the person receiving the message, make them the center of your, of your content, you know, we are all humans. We, we want to hear and see things about us. F focus on that need and help them with their day-to-day. -day. Give them value. Don't try to sell to them immediately. Don't create barriers in their mind where they want to resist your message, but rather get them to understand your message and benefit from it without having to give you anything in return. Then hint at, provide maybe an option for, to get in touch with you if they want to continue this relationship in the same kind of context. And that ideally is the start of a sale. Right? Got it. Yeah. Got it. Uh, well, do me a favor and slide mm -hmm. 18. Um, can you just touch on this quote, read the quote and uh, let everyone know kind of your thoughts on that. And that'll be a good conclusion. Sure. More than, so the quote is more than 60% of marketers use mass email blasts to stay in touch with customers. However, only 13% are using sales automation. 
Well, in order to explain this a little bit better, let's differentiate. I mean, we have already done that quite well in this presentation so far. What is the difference between mass mailing and automated, or let's say sales automation? Yeah, um, mass mailing cannot be cannot be uh, personalized. It's very very hard to uh, focus on an individual and achieve the four points that we just mentioned in the previous slide, um, you know, recipient at the center, uh, dialogue, not a sale and provide value from the get-go. It's hard to do that with a mail blast. They have their own usage. It's good to stay in touch with your customers or update them with a newsletter. That's great as, as, as you know, as a mass email blast. But when, you, when you're trying to establish a human contact, which is between one person and another in the context of business, it needs to be human-like. It needs to be valuable and it needs to be uh, non-generic, uh, customized. And the only 13% are doing it. They are the ones that are going to succeed in sales automation and in, in, in getting in touch with their, their end recipients uh, in, in a non-negative, let's say, positive way. Great. All right. I think we did our job here. And I will mention, I think we should do a uh, another episode a little bit shorter episode oh, yeah. on how we can uh, make sure to separate the cold from the mass uh, bulk newsletter style email blast i just answered another core related uh, question related to it, and it was a question that came up after this talk someone asked why they should separate their emails if they're doing cold outreach from their um, typical platform a lot of people are using constant contact, MailChimp, um, yeah. whatever, Mandrill for, for all these mass emails, SendGrid, et cetera. Um, yeah. Why you should separate out any cold outreach uh, from those platforms. Um, I dive into detail and I think it's worth another episode. So we'll get into that. Uh, put it in the backlog to, to go over soon. <laughs> oh, and yeah. uh, Kron and I will be back for episode two, which should be the one immediately after this. So if you're still on, Go ahead and skip and listen to episode two, which is the middle section of this presentation. But for now, we'll end. And uh, Karan, you have a good rest of the night. We'll talk soon. Thank you very much, Alex. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.